What are you going to do, Commissioner? There's only one thing we can do. Batman! Sir, it's the Batfoot. Yes, Commissioner. Batman! We'll be right there. Biff Bam Pal. This is Batman Land. Be careful. Maybe a trap. Each week we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. We're Batman and Robin, the crime fighters. We discuss the episodes to air this week on SBS Viceland. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm an editor at SBS, and I'm joined here by a colleague of mine, a man who won't sit down for dinner for anything less than $100 a plate. So let's go, Robin. It's Nick Bassine. Please, call me Pangy. Okay, Pangy. Pangy Bassine. Happy to be here. Um, got a lot of stuff to work through today, so... Um Let's get going. Look, we really do. <laughs> so serious today. <laughs> He's got a lot going on. Um, and joining us, returning to the Batman Land Cave, it's the guy I rely on to count all of the bullets. It's Mick Rudd. I can count up to 100 bullets, and that's it. Yeah. That's about all I can do. But yeah, it's, it's hard work on those machine guns. When you hit 100, you just run out of fingers. Yeah. <laughs> fingers, toes, there's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Good to be back. Thanks for asking me back. No, no, it's great to have you back. You were a very enthusiastic Batman Land contributor. And quite frankly, I needed a bit of that in my life. <laughs> I mean, ha- having an opportunity to watch an episode and really focus on it, it's, it's, uh, I dig it. I love it. Also, it's for work. It's work. I could, I could watch Batman on my desk and no one questions me. It's great. Yeah. I feel I do a bit too much of that. <laughs> Nick? Um, I don't do nearly enough. Here's the thing. This is going to be a contentious Batman land where both myself and Mick quite keen on this episode. Yeah. Nick Bassine, not so much. Oh, controversy. Yeah, I am curious... Um, I mean, I, I hopefully eventually we'll get to why why you liked it so much. I don't really understand. I was a bit surprised as well because I generally don't like the Penguin episode so much. I really, really like the performance of Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, but I don't generally like the episodes. The character doesn't really well, just work for me. I think he's always great. I love Burgess Meredith. I mean, mm. I love the... Rah, 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 rah. I think that's fantastic. And um, he always holds that Michael so well. <laughs> it just stays there. Yeah. And I love that he smokes his way through yeah, all of this episode. stuff. I think it's really fantastic. There, I noticed the smoke. That there was smoke. Yeah, yeah. I don't it's know if smoke. I don't. Do we ever see him take a drag? Was it white smoke or purple smoke? It was white smoke when I when I noticed it. Yeah, it might be real then. <laughs> yeah, because it was definitely a different color from the smoke that came out of the uh, umbrella later in the episode. Spoilers. Great quivering jellyfish, what an outrage! These two episodes, this is The Penguin's Nest, which aired originally on the 7th of December 1966, and The Penguin's Last Jest, which is the 8th of December 1966. Important things to recognise. One, those episode titles actually rhymed. We've noticed of late they've gotten a little bit lazy. There's a very good reason as to why that rhymed, as well as why it felt a little bit more like the first season Batman episodes, more than what we've seen from the second. This is actually the two-parter that was supposed to kick off the season. But what happened was they had a Penguin double-parter finishing off the first season, as I recall. Then you got the Batman movie where the Penguin features very prominently, and I thought it was a bit much heavier than Penguin as the first episode back. So they kicked this one three months into the run. So it's the second time we've seen the Penguin this season, but it's actually the first episodes of there season two. That's fair enough. Yeah. They, they must just film it all completely out of sequence anyway, right? I mean, generally? Yeah, by and large. I mean, you used to find that with TV shows a lot more in the olden days than you do now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also really liked the direction on this episode. I found it really vibrant and a little bit more creative in the way that we saw a lot of that in the first season of the show, whereas the second season, outside of the directorial flourishes of seeing the villains on an angle and the <laughs> heroes in a steady shot. No one know, had noticed that before I did. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. What? I never noticed that either. That's amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> You can thank me for that observation. <laughs> this is the thing they've been doing since the beginning of the show, but yeah. Nick only caught on to this about two or three weeks ago. 
Jesus, these are the things you learn in Batman land, though, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm really good at this. <laughs> yeah, but there's two really cool camera shots I quite liked in this. There's a sequence at the Penguin's Nest restaurant near the beginning where you've got Bruce and Dick with Gordon and O'Hara and they're sort of stage whispering to each other about the situation that's at hand and the camera's sort of from up high and it's just it just kind of looked a little bit more interesting than we see in a lot of the very static shots in this show. Mm. And then at the beginning of the part two where the Batmobile is racing through Southern, Southern California in order to make it to the poolside area where they get hit with the machine gun, uh, there's like this really cool camera shot where the camera's sort of floating on this big rig as it's like waving all over the place. It just looked cool. It definitely says something that a couple of new camera angles are enough <laughs> for you to think that this is a, these are great episodes. No, no, it's just that the, cam- the show's been so visually stagnant, I think, in the second season compared to what they were doing in the first one. And so suddenly it became alive again in a way that I haven't seen on the show It's just for a couple a of new sets, and one of them's outdoors, so that's exciting. That outdoor set, kind of, that was amazing, Nick. There's a pool. There's a pool and a slide and a big I'm sure, box. I'm sure they amazing. blew out the budget. Well, it was the first episode, so they probably wanted to this, make a splash. That's exactly it. Boom. Also, I'd like to point out, I am watching the show every week. Every single week. <laughs> <laughs> you look for what you can find. No, I think it's great. I think it's great. Um, when I saw the uh, the dinner scene, I thought, uh, oh, this is new. This is, and everybody's at dinner together. This yeah. is uh, something. It was definitely something. Only, only the millionaires, Nick. Mm, that's true. Now, usually we start the podcast with me feigning the fact that I can't remember what happened in this episode, but I've just talked about all these things I remember from the episode. <laughs> so if we can ignore Except that for a plot. second. <laughs> Nick, I never remember what's happened in the episode. Can you please remind us? Okay, well, so Penguin. The famous criminal I've read so much about. That's who I mean, dicky boy. A super criminal opens a restaurant where the police and Bruce Wayne eat. Hi, my friend. Are you enjoying yourself? We certainly are. Oh. Penguin seems to steal Anne Harriet's diamond bracelet and asks to be arrested. Oh, who needs Batman? Take me to prison. Batman convinces them not to arrest him even after Penguin hits Gordon in the face with a pie. Penguin finally gets himself arrested by fake shooting his chef. Holy blank cartridge. Precisely, Robin. But he gets arrested for violating the sanitary code. Article 69B. There's something about a forger in jail, but I didn't really follow any of that. Call your lawyer. Have him look it up. Penguin busts out of prison and takes Chief O'Hara hostage and sets a trap to murder Batman and Robin, but he and his gang are arrested and tried in a courtroom. Will the prisoner Penguin rise and state how he pleads? Penguin accuses Batman and Robin of conspiracy to deprive him of his rights or something. On what facts do you base your grave charge, Mr. Penguin? Alfred shows up at Penguin's restaurant, disguises that criminal forger, ink, pen, quill, stuffings or something. (laughs) Penguin doesn't go for it and gasses his ass. <laughs> then he ends up at Wayne Manor for some reason. There's a fight. Batman and Robin beat the hell out of the gang. And Aunt Harriet smashes a vase over the woman's head and kills her. Merciful heavens to Betsy. Turns out she's not dead. I don't think you watched this episode that, that, that clearly, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You're saying there are holes in my <laughs> The major plot of recap. this whole thing is about the forger in the jail cell. Did, which is what why happened he's with the. He's trying to get into the jail cell. Yeah, Ballpoint Baxter is in the the prison cell next to Penguin's exclusive prison cell. Cell Q7, presently occupied by Barney F. Baxter. Yeah, because... We open the episode with the Penguin suddenly being a respectable citizen, which we've seen a number of times happen on this show it's to- already. It's totally preposterous. Yeah, but despite the fact that they think, oh, clearly he's reformed, they have a prison cell that's dedicated just to him. <laughs> it's got his name on it. <laughs> it's like P1. <laughs> yeah. 
and but, <laughs> but within the cell, P1 has an adjoining door which connects to Q7, which is where our friend Ballpoint is currently residing. Are you sure we watched the same episode? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But uh, why does he want to be closer to um, Ballpoint uh, BPB? Well, he, that's why he's got. That's such an intricate plot. This is why it's so good. He's got this restaurant <laughs> where the only way you can order your food is by writing oh, down right. your order on a piece of paper. Right. And then he's got he has handwriting a, samples. Handwriting samples. He's got a whole collection of these handwriting samples, which he's then going to provide to Ballpoint Baxter in jail, so then he can write blank checks from millionaires with their handwriting and make lots of money it's, it's, it's oh ingenious oh my god he's already making a lot of money with the restaurant oh well, well, this is this thing. is what happened like bruce wayne called him on it or batman called him on it it was one of the other did suggest that maybe it wasn't necessarily the greatest scheme okay i i hear i hear you i hear you and i see you but the episodes where the criminal is trying to do something in order to do something in order to do something else. Oh, what, like the one where the Joker could bend space and time in order to be able to rob a few banks or whatever he was planning? Yeah, like if you can bend space and time, <laughs> you can that. do a lot of <laughs> other stuff. Yeah. Like that's the goal. That, so that, you know, it just stretches very thin. <laughs> well, if Batman is, is anything but thin, I mean, it's everything. It is thin. You're saying just, he's fat. <laughs> I mean, the, the concept of the show, I the plots are just I so flaky. Uh, but I, I think this one's quite intricate. I think it's quite, it's almost clever. It's one of the few episodes where the plot actually holds up. But the, the forger never shows up until the end. But he's referenced around the place. <laughs> no, but the oh. entire episode is about the Penguin being reconnected with that guy. Because for some reason, Warden Crichton, who runs the local prison, he has... He's great, by the way. He is. He's been in a number of times. The last time we saw him was with Mark Parker earlier this season. But there's the scheme that he has to enable the reform, well, the prisoners as they're trying to reform themselves, to learn how personal finance works. And so they've got blank checks that they're able to practice with. How, <laughs> how on great. earth does a criminal like Penguin get to open a restaurant? Where is he getting the money from? He learned how to do fancy cuisine at the jail when and- he was there last time. And all the people working with him in the kitchen are all people of whom had very sort of uh, kitchen Pe- equipment. Selling cigars, t- tax, tax, tax-free tax, cigars. What was it? Yeah, but there were people that also worked in the kitchens in the prison. And, yeah. and yeah. if Gordon was so convinced and happy to eat at the restaurant that Penguin uh, was reformed, I mean, he turns on him very quickly. Well, he stole a diamond bracelet. <laughs> See, you didn't watch it, did he? No, I, I did. I, I know. Did we I watch know. the same episode? I, I definitely <laughs> watched it. But he—it's it, just so he's just just so dumb. He can't. Like, he was all in on the penguin, and then a diamond bracelet goes missing, and he's reformed, right? I mean, obviously, people go to prison, even though they keep the cell for him just in case. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's been reformed. He's he's all good now. He's opened a restaurant. He's he's gone legit. Speaking of the restaurant, which is only available to the rich people of Gotham and their friends. It's a $100 cover charge to be able to go in there. Yeah. I believe every plate was the value of about $87 per person. Yeah. Only millionaires can afford that, Dan. Exactly. These are 1966 prices as yeah. well. What is that now for inflation? Well, for a point of comparison, and I don't have restaurant prices in front of me, but earlier this week was Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. I'm sure we all gave and received, you know, mementos of love. Yes. When I, I didn't was, get anything. <laughs> sorry. Next year, I'll get you something. Okay. <laughs> I was walking through a uh, nearby shopping centre. There was a florist, which I know does a huge amount of business each year because I used to work near it. So I saw the big queues there each year. Walking past there, 
bunch of uh, roses. It was one of the very few bunches which you could buy, which you didn't have to pre-order. Okay, four hundred and fifty dollars oh for that bunch God. of roses. How many? Uh, it was like a lot. I've got a photo here. I didn't count them. Long stem, like, red. It, it was definitely red. Uh, there was more than twelve, but it was a big bunch of roses. <gasps> that is an outrage. Absolutely. You should have torn that place apart, like like Jesus at the market. Only Just mil- tore only, it apart. Only I would have, but I've got an injury this week, right. so oh, yeah. yeah. Only millionaires could afford that, and the hundred and eighty-seven dollars it cost to go to Penguin's restaurant. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I just showed a photo of the price tag. <laughs> that is outrageous. Absolutely. Easy, gentlemen. Control your emotion. That's a hate crime. <laughs> it is. Batman should be investigating. That is what oh I'm my thinking. God. <laughs> Such a racket, Valentine's Day. But if you think about it, so we've got the exclusive opportunity to go dining with the hoi polloi of Gotham. Yes. And that cost $100 back in 1966. A $450 bouquet of roses. It sounds ridiculous, but in terms of inflation, maybe you're doing a pretty good deal with those roses. <laughs> I wouldn't know the, the cost of those roses. I'm sure there's a very handy markup on that. <laughs> I suspect so. Penguin's terrific chow is hardly within the budget of the average worker. A hundred dollars in nineteen sixty six equals seven hundred and seventy five dollars and twenty three cents in two thousand eighteen. Oh there you go. That's, should... that's pretty that's expensive. That is expensive. That is a millionaire. It's more than your flowers. Yeah, well this is what I'm saying. The flowers may not may not necessarily be so expensive. They may just be a good deal now. God damn it. All right, All right. sorry. No, no, that's, that's 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 interesting. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, but just taking on what you're saying, like I find it interesting that Dick gets invited to all these events with Bruce, mm. and the assumption is always just going to be that Bruce has come along with his ward Dick. There's never any sort of idea of, hey, Bruce, have you got a date that you'd like to bring along? That never comes up. Bruce, why are you spending so much time with this underage boy? Yeah, there is that. I mean, that's always been an issue, right? Well, it's his ward. He's teaching him the ways of life. Bruce, you're the only person I know that has a ward. What is going on? Well, I actually have a bit of evidence from this episode as to what might be going on. Uh-oh. There's a moment where the narrator says, and he's talking about the Batman and Robin partnership. He says, even as the dynamic duo speed from the fabulous Batcave. Fabulous! <laughs> and it was a gay night out too, remember? A gay dinner party. <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> Now, there was an actress in a Grace Gaynor who played the character of Chickadee. Related to Gloria? Uh, I don't know if there's a connection there. I suspect not. Now, I went through her IMDb and I thought maybe she'd sort of been in something else. There was nothing really that jumped out beyond the fact that later in life, she had a role within the two Fletch movies, if you recall the Fletch Fletch. film. Fletch! Jimmy Chase. Classics. Jimmy Chase. And she plays Mrs. Underhill. And if you remember in those films, there's this recurring gag where every time that he's spending time with the hoi polloi of... Um, where is he? He's Los Angeles. That's mm. the second time you've said hoi polloi. I know. There'll I know. be a third one. And at that point, we drink. <laughs> but yeah, when he's at the country club, he keeps on putting all of his charges onto this older couple's bill. And it's the Underhills. And then at the end of the movie, like they call that's him That's right. Mama. Oh, man. Yeah. I've anyway, that's that. her. That's awesome. She's pretty good in this. I really liked her. I thought she had a lot of really good energy. She had a little more dignity than some of the the moles are allowed to have. Mm. She can't show. shoot like long distances, but no, she's good at putting not a great them, shot. Uh, putting good, good at point blank range. She's yeah, fine she'll that. put it right in your face. Yeah. <laughs> how are you? How good are you at shooting at long distance? Uh, not good either. I probably miss as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm more of an archer. <laughs> Strong show. Holy flip-flop! Another guest star we've got in this episode, Ted Cassidy appearing as Lurch from the Adams Family. Oh, it's you, Batman. Oh, 
that was the best. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was Adam's family or the Munsters. No, or, um, we, we talked Man. about this last time. You get confused. That's right. <laughs> keep confusing those shows. <laughs> as soon as that music, and you could hear it. Oh, did they play the music? Yeah. yeah it was playing on the harpsichord as he was going up the building. I um, Did you even watch the, the same episodes? <laughs> I had the volume turned off intermittently. <laughs> now, I was doing some reading up on Ted Cassidy because I don't really know much about him. After the Adams Family, he did a whole bunch of voice work. He voiced Godzilla in an animated series what? at one point. I know. Why does Godzilla have a voice? Well, it's probably lots oh, of Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounded a little bit like um, Yoda. Is what that sounded like. Maybe he's. Yeah. But anyway, he was interviewed at one point as to what was your favorite role over the years. And I should say he started out as a basketball or an accidentally play out, so he got involved in film oh. and TV. But he was asked what his favourite role was, and he pretty much said he doesn't really want to be remembered for any of them because he hasn't <laughs> liked any of the work that he's done, oh. and he was still waiting for that one great role. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. Now, his role as Lurch in The Adams Family apparently was supposed to be a non-speaking role, which was the case in The Adams Family comic strips, uh, but he improvised in the first episode the... You right. And they loved it, and so he became a... He's the butler. He's the butler. Amazing. Speaking of comic strips, this episode actually was taken from the comic strip, which I think people have sort of was it? looked at as a positive because some of the comic strip stories are quite good, and they did that originally, but this, this actual episode was pretty much taken straight from the comic. Yeah, so the opening sequence, apparently leading up to the part where Gordon gets the pie in the face, hmm. apparently it's in the comics. Wait, what? In yeah, the yeah. comics, the penguin is allowed to open a restaurant? Yeah. Apparently. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which, what era of Batman are we talking about? I can help you out here. It's from the Penguin's Nest comic, which appeared in Batman issue 36 in 1946. Oh, the 40s. Okay. Old, yeah. The 40s were a different time. (laughs) Yeah, that's a different time. It's pre-Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay? Well, I just think it's celebrity chefs. Oh, right. (laughs) I didn't. I I thought for a second it was a Batman villain I hadn't heard of. (laughs) Gordon Ramsay, the dreaded Gordon Ramsay. He's in the other cell that connects to the Penguin's (laughs) cell. He's in uh, G3. The anti-crime computer uh, is amazing in this in this episode. I what know. do I miss this? The, the computers, they yeah, use yeah. their computer to find out who is in the prison. Like, it's super computer. What does it tell them? Uh, who's in the in the prison so they can oh, work okay. out that the forger is in the cell next door to where the penguin would have gone if he gets sent to jail. See, it's so intricate. There was some other technology in the episode as well, which yeah. was... A mystery that I've been trying to work out is the bat poles because they slide down and they're <laughs> yeah. in costume. And so I've always wondered, like, was there a room like midway between the two, mm. like between upstairs and downstairs? How does that happen? And in my mind, I thought that somehow they just got costumed as part of the sliding down. But there's been no proof of that in the show. But in this episode, you find that there's actually a auto costume change button. A at big the switch at the bottom, which I'm <laughs> sure is not in any other episode. Have not noticed. So that. they get down to the bottom. And then press the button and the costumes come on. No, no, no. Because have you watched the show before, Nick? <laughs> Sorry, what show are we talking about? <laughs> They're upstairs in the uh, the uh, the parlor, the study. Study. They switch the bust open, the sho- uh, the William Shakespeare bust. Bon- the Willem okay. Dafoe bust. The Willem Dafoe bust. There's a switch. They flick the switch. The doors open up, the mm-hmm. bookshelf. They get into their respective poles. Yes. They slide down their poles. Yes. And they know which poles is theirs because their names are on yes. it. And it says Bruce and Dick on the signs. Right. And then in the bottom downstairs in the back cave, they slide down those exact same poles. And one says Robin, one says uh, Batman, that guy. What? And they're in costume. They get but changed. What, how does yes, that happen? Yes, yes, yes. Of course. Yeah. 
That's what I'm saying. You're saying that there's a button that there's they a press button at the bottom. Located at the bottom, just to switch it. So you've got to well, be able to control the mechanism somewhere. So, but, but the reason is because they go back up the poles and they stay in their costumes. They don't change back into their everyday clothes because they turn the costume device off. It's like a switch oh now. It was never there before. Oh, my God. For yeah. all we know, there could be a switch upstairs as well. It's just maybe it's on the other side that you can't see from the camera. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Magical switch. Yeah, it's very technical, this pole. I don't know how they get changed so quickly. That's how they managed to get back and back and forward in that room at the end of the episode. Now, I can conceive of the <laughs> idea that if you're sliding down the pole, you can get into pants, okay? <laughs> I'm also willing to concede that maybe they can pull stuff up while they're sliding down the pole. Yes. Is no what firemen I don't do understand. that? Don't uh, firemen have pants, pants at the bottom of the pole? I, I don't presume to know. What I don't understand is Bruce Wayne had a cravat... When he ended up back upstairs, mm. how did that happen? Like, I just don't understand how the cravat, everything else I can accept, <laughs> but the cravat was Shoes, too much for me. jacket, everything, but the cravat, no, nah, it just throws it out of whack. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't buy it. Another day, another way. Hey, uh, can we talk about Ballpoint Baxter? We have to talk about Ballpoint Baxter, because he, he, he makes an appearance right at the end of the episode. Yeah, but he's actually a notable Batman person. He wrote a third of the episodes. Exactly. So, it's a guy named Stanley Ralph Ross. And Ralph Ross. Stanley, Stanley Ralph, Ralph Ross. Ross. He's got three first names. R-A-L-P-H-R-O-S-S. Yes. You know they say not to trust people with two first names? Yeah, but this guy's three, got first, three names. first names. Which maybe it's like it's, <laughs> a, it's like a magnet when you've got it the other way around. Like It becomes trustworthy Ooh, when you've got three first reversing names. Ralph Ross. Wait, are they, is it a s- separate names? Or is his last name, Ralph and Ross, smashed together? I didn't write it down in my notes. I've looked at it so many times over the years. <laughs> Ralph Ross is not a name. That's a fake name. He's a guy. Now, he's more than just looking like a guy that looks like Harry Crane from Mad Men. Mm. Okay, as we see at the end, he's very Crane-like. But as you yes. said, he wrote about a third of the episodes of Batman. He's also been an actor and did a whole bunch of voice work. So almost every cartoon you can think of through the 70s and 80s, he had some sort of involvement in at some point. But as a TV writer, he had obviously done a whole bunch of Batman. He's the guy that developed the Wonder Woman TV show. Oh. So, obviously, off the strength of Batman. The 70s one. The 70s one. Oh, yeah. So, there was one pilot done, and he wasn't really happy with it. So, when that fell apart, he was brought in to become the guy to run the new version. Right. And when he did that, he cast... Well, he's responsible for the casting of Linda Carter and Lyle Wagner. And I'm wondering if the casting of Lyle Wagner from that comes from the fact that Lyle Wagner was one of the two leading candidates to play Batman in a 60s Batman show. Mm. Oh, it all comes around. It really does. Do you want to know the coolest fact about him, though? What do you got? Because there's a lot going on. He's, He's an stuff. ordained minister. And he <laughs> married Burt Ward for his third wedding. He was the minister for that wedding, right. which I could have been to that, that girl that he met on the episode that we did last time. That was yes. his second wife. That was his second. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Bert Ward. <laughs> He's a player, that man. Good lord. Uh, he also did the voice of the Doberman and Terrier in Babe, Pig in the City. Really? Yeah. They didn't give him any lines for this episode. Though. He got no words. He no tri- words. He tripped up a step, though. That was quite interesting. Uh, also, just because obviously they knew it was going to be him playing it, there's a line in the script which refers to him as, like, the ugly forger. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote that down, too. <laughs> <laughs> It's fantastic. And now, Nick, this is probably going to relate to you more than us, but the ABC Wide World of Sports in the US, mm-hmm. uh, there's the phrase in the opening intro for it, which refers to the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Yeah, that's right. Iconic TV line. Yeah. You wrote that. Oh, really? Yeah. 
There's oh, so wow. many stats he's about a, this guy. He's a TV hero. <laughs> he really is. I would legitimately be interested in seeing some sort of biopic or something of him. Like, I kind of feel that he's kind of been and touched everything along the way. You know, he also looked like, um, what's the name of the dude that plays Dwight on The Office? Uh, he also looks like Rain Wilson. Oh, from The Office, played Dwight Schrute. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Uh, he just been doing a two-episode run in Star Trek Discovery as well. Yeah. Um, can we, let's give it a, give that a minute for the listeners to take it in <laughs> and what it means. I really enjoy the way that Dwight Schrute just destroyed the energy in the room. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back on topic here and talk about the warden because at one point in the episode, they call the warden in the afternoon and the warden is in bed asleep with an eye mask <laughs> and a cap and he's having his routine afternoon nap, which as any warden would do. Well, I mean, we are assuming, though, that he keeps nine to five hours. Maybe he decides to keep, like, a later or an earlier shift. Maybe, maybe does a night shift at the, mm. at the prison. Maybe do you know why, why did people used to wear... Um, Nightcaps. Nightcaps. <laughs> I don't know. Just to keep the hair neat overnight? And I, How do you keep your hair so neat, Nick? Um, do you have a nightcap? I, um, it happens when I go down the pole <laughs> when I get ready. Magic, yeah. Um... And also, a nightcap is a drink that you have oh, yeah, at the end of the night. Yes. And then it so, can be thing that you wear on your head as well. It's very confusing. It seems to have been lost on the ages, the nightcap that you wear on your head. Speaking of the prison, we do have a appearance from James O'Hara, who's playing Officer Hoffman. Now, he's regularly in the series as Sergeant O'Leary, mm-hmm. who Nick recently refused to believe exists on this I very still podcast. still don't. <laughs> still refuse to acknowledge his existence. Despite the fact he's in pretty much every episode. <laughs> <laughs> It's totally made up in his podcast. But interesting, he's playing a different character name, which could be because he was shot and presumably died on the floor of the prison. But there was an interesting scene when Batman and Robin enter the prison. They step over his body and then they look at the door and Batman says something along the lines of, curious, that door was open. <laughs> as though that was the only thing, as opposed right. this dead body lying there by his feet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. How is that door open? How did it just get in so easily? <laughs> well, I mean, people die in this episode, or fake die anyway, a fair bit. Fake die? Yeah, yeah. Well, twice. As, as a chef is... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's gets right. shot that's and he's not, he's not shot. And then later in the episode, you know, someone gets... Did donked. you think that the woman at the end was going to die when she when Aunt Harriet hit her over the head with that enormous phase? Was that a spittoon? <laughs> a spittoon? <laughs> spittoon. I've never seen anyone chewing tobacco in this show. <laughs> it, it was very... It looked very heavy. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there was no blood. No. Now, is this the only time we've ever seen Batman and Robin in costume appearing in Stately Wayne Manor? I think it might be. Something about the scene just seemed very unusual to me. I don't, I, I don't remember seeing it. Hey, look, I know that the villains aren't that smart, except for Penguin, it seems a little bit smart. But surely, surely, by this stage, they would have worked out that Batman and Robin and this other guy who has a ward about the same age as Robin in the same house who talk the same way. Standing in the exact same spot in costume and then out of costume. Even on the phone that one time, I think Robin started talking as Robin and and, and Bruce goes, no, no, you're you're Dick right now. (laughs) And he's like, oh, yeah. And then he started talking exactly the same way that Robin would speak on the phone. Yeah, he didn't change his voice, just kind of, well, just kind of made it sound a little bit lighter. (laughs) A little bit dicky. Um, But... Speaking of phones, the best, one of the best parts of this episode we haven't talked about 
are the adjacent phone boxes. <laughs> at the beginning, we totally forgot about this. I so, love this moment. Oh, yeah. This is it's great. pretty good. Best. Yeah. Uh, they go to call Batman. Uh, so Commissioner Gordon in the restaurant goes, "Oh, we better get Batman." And, and Penguin goes, "No, we don't need Batman. Just send him to jail." Anyway, they go call Batman, and Bruce is like, "Oh, I'm going to make a call." Jumps into the phone box next to Commissioner Gordon. Even talks to him. Oh, I'm just making a call. Okay, me too. And then the magically they patched the phone from the Batcave through from the call that Commissioner Gordon made. I mean, it was amazing technology back then. They could just, just patch it. And, you know, Alfred was on the job, luckily in the Batcave at the right place, right time, dusting the supercomputer. Oh, I just loved how they just all worked together. I, I don't understand why they needed to call Batman to arrest the Penguin when there are policemen right there. Well, it's because Bruce Wayne suggests that. <laughs> and if Bruce Wayne suggests something, you listen. These police, they're awful. You remember, you remember that episode I did last time where you did petty crimes and they said, well, we better get Batman onto this because <laughs> it's very important. Similarly, this time, Penguin does, wants to go to jail. This is only can be answered by Batman. He's the only person who can explain this. Now, when you were talking about the phone booth scene, you referred to it as the best scene. Hmm. Um, I would maybe argue that because okay. this episode is also the one that features Batman and Robin representing the state system <laughs> in the courtroom. Oh, yes! With the little <laughs> bat symbol on the case and the bat symbol on the everything. <laughs> on the books. The lawyer's stuff. Oh, this, this is really good. This is what makes this episode amazing. There's so many... I- Amazing bits. Yeah, that was a nice scene. I did like that scene, the courtroom scene. Yeah, and I like that there's no jury to speak of. At no point is the True. penguin really going to be judged by his peers, uh, but rather the penguin just suggests that, oh, it's acting crazy because I was under duress. And the judge is like, yeah, story checks out. But there's this amazing point in the, in the court scene where the penguin quotes something from this guy called Emile Zola. Yeah. And I had to look this guy up. I was like, who is this person? And he says, J'accuse, you know, very Frenchy. And I was like, this is pretty highbrow right now. I don't know what he's talking about. But maybe- <laughs> Too highbrow for you. Well, what, did you what did you find? Uh, Emile Zola got accused of something, got sent to jail, but then he basically got it overturned. Uh, have you looked it up? Uh, I was a bit confused by it's it It's a all. movie. Oh, called really? Emile Z- the Life and um, Something of Emile Zola. Some famous movie. Are you thinking of The Firm? <laughs> I might be. I'm thinking of um, the Pelican Brief. Oh, here we go. Kill the moon in the room again, Nick. Jeez, talking about old things. No, no. I'm thinking of um... <laughs> um, what's the what's the one he did before the firm? <laughs> the client list. Oh wait, no, that was Joe no, no. Love Hewitt. That was later. The client. The client. The client. The that's cli- not what I'm thinking of. The client list was the one where Jennifer Love Hewitt was the prostitute who... That's right. Yeah. The client is with, um, I think, Susan Sarandon's in it. And Denzel, Ju- isn't it? Denzel's The Pelican Brief with okay. Julia Roberts. <laughs> These are all Grisham novels, right? Yeah. yeah. What, are they? John Grisham, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. all Grisham. <laughs> <laughs> the, one, the one with Matthew McConaughey is the first one. Yeah. The thing about Batman Land is you get a broad <laughs> look at popular culture. We don't just talk about Batman. We talk about John Grisham adaptations. I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to think of the Samuel L. Jackson line. Yes, they deserve to die. And I hope they burn in hell. Oh, yeah, that's right. Powerful. Uh, also in the courtroom, uh, one of the great things is that one of the great things in the courtroom is that the Penguin was accused of littering with machine gun cartridges. <laughs> <laughs> using machine gun to try and shoot people no you were littering with machine gun cartridges which batman counted which we mentioned at the stop of the episode batman with behind his shield trying to defend himself it's a magical <laughs> shield that comes from nowhere 
counts how many shots. <laughs> I like that because he's like, let me grab the shield and he just pulls it off. <laughs> like, they didn't carry the shield out there. It's not so small that it could just fold into his utility belt. It was just kind of there. Just, it's like off camera, someone just hands it to him. Here we go. We've got the shield now. We can advance on the electrified pool. You know what, guys? Yes. After talking about it. It's great, isn't it? I like these episodes. Yes. We've converted him. Usually on the podcast, we like to talk to our guests about their favourite Batman, but we've already had Mick on before. So, Mick, let's talk to you about villains. We were discussing at the top, I'm not so keen on the Penguin in this show, but I like mm. the Penguin generally, and I love Burgess Meredith's uh, portrayal of the Penguin. But what about you? Like, who's the villains you go to, maybe both in the show as well as just broadly within Batman? Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a big comic book fan of Batman, but obviously I was introduced to it from this TV show. So, yeah, mm. Penguin back in the day was amazing. Catwoman is awesome in the original uh, series. When I started reading the comics, I was really, obviously, Joker's hugely featured in the comics. But one of these characters that was introduced in the comics in the 90s was this sadistic naked guy called Zaz, who for every murder that he did, he would mark... Uh, like carve it into his skin. I always found that weird because there's a Batman villain called the Tally Man. Yeah. And you'd think that'd be a shtick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why I like sadistic ones, but I, I really like the dark Batman comic books and that was just one of the ones that I really liked. If you go lighter, then you, you think of people like the Mad Hatter and, you know, some of those real wacky characters, the egghead guys, you know, some of those are great villains that are just fun. Um, but because uh, I'm, I'm into those dark comic ones, I really like those dark villains. Yeah. What about Professor Pig? <laughs> what? <laughs> Professor Pig, that came in in the Grant Morrison comics. Yeah. And that's PYG. Yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot all about that. What about... Um, and you call yourself a fan. Yeah. What about Deacon Blackfire? Deacon Blackfire? <laughs> Where are you digging these from? Sorry, sorry. I meant... What about um, Penny Plunderer? <laughs> Penny Plunderer? Somebody's discovered Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> What about Angle Man? See, if you were like trying to prove to someone that you were a hardcore Batman fan, you'd drop all these villains and say, hey, they were the coolest villains. You don't know what you're talking about. What about the film freak? Oh, I remember the film freak. No, I don't really. I was just trying to sound cool. <laughs> I actually do remember film freak. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at, a, obviously, a list of Batman villains. I don't know most of these people. <laughs> what about Magpie? Also, Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory is on this list for some reason. <laughs> is there a villain called Sheldon? No, it's the Big Bang, Bang Theory guy. Oh, right. There we go. Dan, you love The Big Bang Theory. Oh, look, I mean, obviously it's my favorite show. I guess maybe he doesn't like Batman. Oh, because he, well, I don't know. It, it, Madam Zodiac? I know Madam Zodiac. Nisa Ratko? No, I got, no, I got nothing there. You know how they like to refer things in, in the new movies to the old original episodes? Mm. There's a point where Penguin says and calls himself P.N. Gwyn, and they use that in one of the later movies. Oh, did well, they? Yeah. Must be Batman Returns. And Batman Returns. Yeah, I think so, where he refers to, he orders some missiles or something under the name P.N. Gwyn, and they, uh, and they refer back to this episode. Really? Yeah. That's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> it is legitimately great. It's oh, wonderful. I did my research. I'll tell you what. Hey, I have a question. I have a quick question. Yeah. Um, does it? Batman at some point says, "Great Scott." Does he? Well, he says, "Isn't it, that he says it to Bruce when uh, he's sort of doing the voice acting from the back as though like Batman and Robert have just passed Bruce and Dick in the stately Wayne Manor." Isn't that where he says it? Doesn't he? I thought he says it when the chef gets fake shot. Or uh, maybe he uses a few sort of old timey phrases. But that's a Captain Kirk thing, isn't it? Great Scott. Great Scott. I don't know. I know it more as something which, I mean, Back to oh, the Future. Oh, Back to the Future. Um, mm. I also know Perry White saying it in the Superman comics. Yes. No. Isn't that Caesar's Ghost? Oh, well, he does say Great, Great Caesar's, Caesar's Ghost. Ghost. 
In the comics, I really liked the um, the ventriloquist. Yeah, which I'm surprised you've never really seen much in other media. Yeah, it seemed like a good... Uh, What's his name again? Oh, yeah, actually, the ventriloquist. That's, yeah. his, that's the really original... Because he's a very large large man with a little puppet. Oh, that's yeah, the, puppet, the puppet's the one that's, like, nasty, and, and the big guy's like, oh, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm sorry for my puppet. Yeah, and the puppet's dressed as a gangster. Yeah, he's very scary. That's right. Yeah, Ruthless. I forgot, about I forgot about that. I like the Scarecrow, too. Yeah, which has gotten a bit of play in the movies, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I think Batman Begins did a great job with Scarecrow. It's very scary. Oh, it's freaky. Killian yeah. Murphy. Mm-hmm. He's in Gotham, too. Let's talk about Gotham briefly, because I think you're the only one in the room who's sort of really stuck with that show. Hmm. Now, that's a show that really explores the Batman villains, but Batman's not a presence in that show because he's still, what, like a seven or eight-year-old kid. Well, they're developing Bruce Wayne as trying to prove or, or, or show how he became Batman. But in the meantime, all the villains are just taking over Gotham and Bruce is sort of involved because he's trying to find out who killed his parents. But yeah, the villains are just stand out and there's some really great performances from a bunch of different villains. But ones he hadn't even heard of as well. Oh, so that creating villains for the show is that... Yeah, okay. yeah, there's a couple of newbies in there. Um, but mostly it's about the Penguin. The Penguin is the, the sort of the key one in the first season. But in the, And they're always touching it, how the Joker's going to be brought in into the seasons. But, uh, yeah, it's really quite clever. So is it is it very dark? Yes, it is dark. And I think that's what I like. I like the darkish, Gotham-y, you know, sort of style of things. That's, that's what Batman, he's, he's a dark dude, Batman. Like, he, his parents died and he became a vigilante. But he just can't get over it. He just has to keep doing it and doing it and doing it until he just destroys himself. Well, Superman's parents died. In fact, a whole planet got blown up. But he's doing all right. <laughs> all right. Well, he's got superpowers and he can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to do anything. He can just stand there and, oh, it's, except for the kryptonite. Oh, it's going to hurt me. Oh, Superman. Don't even get me started on Superman. So he's not as emotionally fragile as man. No, exactly right. Yeah. Those people from Krypton. Don't, don't trust them. <laughs> Too happy for their own good. Each week we like to talk about the lessons that we've learned from the Bright Knight himself. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. Did you learn anything from Batman? I learned a couple of things. Not necessarily things that I can apply to real life. So, it, Penguin's in prison and uh, Batman says, uh, he calls him a Bush League bird, which is fair enough. But then it looks like Robin flips him off Gives the bird the bird. Yeah, after and then uh, and then they walk out of there. That'd and be great. I, I guess I learned that people used to do that back then. But if he's not doing it, then I've got a different lesson. <laughs> if you've got a refrigerator and it's secret, put a sign on there. <laughs> Otherwise, how do you know it's a secret? Fair call. Yeah, I agree. Mick, what did you learn? My big lesson is if you're going to have a slippery slide going into a pool. Try and make sure that slide is actually pointed into the pool and not onto the concrete <laughs> on the side of the pool. Because if you'll notice in this episode, when they're pushing the crate down the slide, uh, Chickadee does that. It, it, <laughs> I don't know how many takes it took to do this, but it basically bounces off the edge of the concrete of the pool because the slide is not even pointed into the pool. I don't know why. Um, yes, if you're going to have a slide into a pool, make sure it goes into the pool. I contend that you already knew that going into this episode and you didn't actually learn that. You're just trying to prove your superiority no, over I actually, Batman. I actually paused and went back and had a look at the slide. I can give you a screenshot if you like. I have no doubt that this happened, but I think you knew that that was bad positioning before you watched the episode. You didn't learn that from Batman this week. I did, I did. <laughs> Dan, what did you learn? This week I learned, and basically I think it's a lesson that we're going to take away for you know many years to come, 
if you suffer Moldavian food poisoning, you just get your ass out of there. You go to your local family doctor. It's very important. Must go straight away. Mm. Where is Moldavia? I'm feeling a case of the Moldavian food poisoning right now. (laughs) (laughs) Moldavia has made an appearance before on the show. In the very first episode, remember there's the elephant and the Riddler has some sort of scheme going on with Batman and Robin are hiding in the elephant. What? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that there's like the Prime Minister of Moldavia or someone. I thought it's a king. Maybe it's a king. I, I'm not up to Moldavian politics of late. <laughs> if you, if the listeners could just hold on a minute while we while we look this up. That's it for another Batman land. Nicholas Bazine, thank you very much. Now, you can, be found, you can be found on this podcast again, I'm sure. Uh, but in the meantime, people might want to follow your wise musings on Twitter. Uh, I've got a lot of hot takes. You can find me at Stormy Daniels. That's a hot take. It's right at there. Nick Bazine. At Nick Bazine is my handle. During the week, Nick posted a comparison photo of Larry <laughs> David and Daniel Day-Lewis claiming that they've got the exact same face. That's right. <laughs> I don't buy, take out there. I don't buy this at all, but other people in the office are coming around to his thinking. Yeah, yeah. Wow. A revolution has begun. You're an influencer on the social media I sure scene. am. I sure am. I wouldn't say on the social media. <laughs> he influences people in the three metres around his desk. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mick, how do people find you around the place? Mick Rad. I'm Mick Rad uh, on Twitter and Facebook and MickRad.com, even if you want to read my stuff. Thank you for asking me on again. Yeah. Uh, now, you're a published writer. You write things. I write things, usually music-related. I get yeah. a lot of gigs. And um, where do people find that? MickRad.com. Okay. Yeah. Disappointing to the various publications that hire you for things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I do uh, two ACR radio Wednesday Drive, 4 to 6. Yeah, which you can listen to in Sydney or stream it online, I'm sure. Yeah, 2SCR.com. Yeah. Sign for my afternoon now. Routine. <laughs> uh, people can find me on Twitter at the Dan Barrett. Hashtag Batman Land if you're talking about the show. If you like the podcast, leave reviews on your podcast platforms of choice. Helps other people find the show. That's on your Apple Podcasts, on your Overcast, your Pocket Casts, whatever your apps might be. Anyway, <laughs> folks, we'll be back next week for another Batman Land. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. Until then. So I'm just putting a pause and I can kind of hear something. This, Not anymore. Is that the screams of children you, of your nightmares? Well, it sounded more like sort of uh, seagulls in a distance. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Sounds like you're having one of your gay <laughs> nightmares. I think I'm having an episode. Okay, let's get into it. Can you smell burnt toast? Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm done. Okay, here we go.